You're listening to Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's podcast. We'd love to worship with you today. Today's message comes from Senior Pastor Aaron Klein. Well, if I were to share with you that phrase, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. You know, there's something that we can often tell about people based on, if you would call it, bumper sticker theology, right? You can tell a lot about someone or what they believe, sometimes simply based on the types of things that they are willing to put on their car. So that's a bumper sticker that perhaps you have seen. Uh, Perhaps you've seen another one that says something like this, money talks, mine always says goodbye, right? And so we see these different things that sometimes people will place on the back of their cars. Now, what we recognize is that as human beings, money can actually impact much of our thoughts. There are whole political and ideological and uh, socioeconomical systems that have been put in place and developed around money. There's wars that have taken place. There are cold wars that have taken place. And people live in a mindset of either plenty or want. And so what it does is it shapes the way in which we live. It shapes the way in which we interact with others. In fact, it can often shape the way in which we view the people that are around us. If we're honest, our views of money can actually also impact uh, the way in which we view God. And it's not hard to do that, right? What we find is that it is constantly in our face. Uh, Many of us know, if you spend any time online, uh, that social media influencers and their rise uh, has given rise to this idea of consumerism being thrust in your face uh, as they seek clicks or as they seek reviews and, and hawking all of these different products. But here's the thing is, you and I know, if we were honest, that this isn't just something that we're seeing uh, in today's day and age. This goes back much, much farther than that. I mean, even in my own lifetime, I have memories growing up watching what? Robin Leach's Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, right? Where, what would they do? They'd take you around to all the homes of all of these famous celebrities, all of these movie stars, and you would walk through their homes and you would get to see just the extravagant way in which they live. That got picked up again a little bit later on, but it was probably known more like MTV Cribs where you got a chance to, again, go around and you see the way in which all of these famous celebrities live. But if we're honest, what we recognize is all you have to do is turn on the TV and you watch something like HGTV or the Magnolia Network, and you see people and their homes and the way in which they live. You watch a TV show like House Hunters, and it's all about Well, these are my needs, and these are my must-haves, and this is what I have to have in order to store all of my toys and all of these different things. I think we don't just see it, we also hear it. Uh, Musicians often talk about this, and it's this phenomenon 
one of the things that I will often say is that in many ways, musicians are kind of like modern-day poets, uh, the way in which they often write their lyrics. And what's interesting is uh, musicians can often talk about the excesses of money within culture, and they'll call it out, while on the other hand, living into all of its excesses. I mean, all I would have to do is say Pink Floyd's money, and immediately there's probably a riff that's going through your mind this morning, right? Maybe it might be something else like dire straits, money for nothing, you know, and instantly your mind starts playing through some of these songs. If that's not you, maybe it's ABBA, money, 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 right? Uh, we know, what do they say? It's a rich man's world. I grew up, right, the, the flying lizards, the best things in life are free, but you can give it to the birds and bees. I want money. That's what I want. Donna Summers says she deserved it because what? She works hard for the money, right? You think about songs, though, that tell us, well, what? The Beatles remind us money can't buy us love, right? And yet, I was reminded of this week a song that was made popular by the OJs in uh, 1974, uh, and it's a song that actually hit the charts as number three, but if you're not familiar with it, it was reintroduced to society uh, during a famous politician's TV show, The Apprentice. And I want you to hear what their song, For the Love of Money, that's the title of the song. Interestingly enough, uh, it was written for or from 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is where they took their inspiration. Now, here's what's interesting. The title of the song is For the Love of Money. Listen to what it says. Some people got to have it. Some people really need it. Why y'all do bad things with it? You want to do good things with it. For the love of money, people will steal from their mother. For the love of money, people will rob their own brother. For the love of money, people can't even walk the street because they never know who in the world they're going to beat for that lean, mean, green, almighty dollar. People will lie. Lord, they will cheat for the love of money. People don't care who they hurt or beat. For the love of money, a woman will sell her precious body for a small piece of paper. Call it lean, mean, green, almighty dollar. I know money is the root of all evil. Do funny things to people. Give me a nickel, brother, can you spare a dime? Money can drive some people out of their minds. Got to have it. I really need it. Don't let money rule you. Don't let, don't, for the love of money, money can change people sometimes. Money can fool people sometimes. People, don't let money change you. It will keep on changing your mind. Now, it's interesting because on the one hand, you know, you have this song that is for the love of money, and yet it's calling out the excesses and what we do when we pursue money, but we also see in the way it was used for a TV show to promote, right? Uh, finding and getting more money, right? And so we understand that there is this juxtaposition, and we see it even within this song. Now, there's two things that I, I want to point out here, and the first is, is this. I recognize that last week I challenged you to curb your consumption for a week, and yet every example that I have given you 
is from TV shows and music. It's the consumption of the things of the world. But I want us to understand, it's amazing how much so much of this influences and impacts the way in which we live. And I can recall when I was in youth ministry, seeing the way in which this impacts, I, I had a conversation with a student and we were talking about what they wanted to do with their life. And they said this, they said, well, when I think about my future, I don't care what I do. All I know is that I want to be rich. And that has stuck with me all these years later because it is a reminder of the way in which so much of our culture and so much of our society is geared towards the pursuit of having wealth. For so many, it becomes life's highest goal. The second thing that I was reminded of is that you see the tension even within this song, right? The idea of for the love of money. And so we see when you pursue money, the way in which it leads to a life uh, that is all about it and the things and the dangers that can happen. And yet, if you heard, even within that song, it says that the love of money is the root of all evil. But, as Pastor Andrew just reminded us, that is not actually what the Bible says. And so, what we want to do this morning is not break down what a song says, but instead look at what does Scripture say is a healthier way of us to look at the money that God has given to us. And really, when we look at this idea, which is it? Is it the love of money, or is it money in general that's evil? So if you've brought your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to be looking together at verses 2 through 10. Of course, you're going to be able to follow along uh, on the screen behind me. Here now the reading of God's Word. It says, These are the things you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy and strife and malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So I want us to notice for a second how Paul begins this section. Notice he begins in verse 2 by saying, these are the things that you should teach and insist on. 
Now, if you look at where this passage comes from, verse 2 is actually much longer than that. So is he saying that these are the things that you need to assist on and teach that come before, and he's saying what I've just said you need to insist on and teach, or is he saying what follows is what you need to insist on and teach? And what you need to understand is the verses that precede what we have just read talks about the relationship between slaves and their masters. Now, these are not given in any way to promote what we would see as that harsh chattel uh, slavery system that we saw in the Americas or that we saw in Europe. Uh, what we see is in Scripture over and over again is this push for an equality of people, how uh, God called Christian slave owners uh, to treat their slaves well, in many cases to try to set them free, slaves to be able to honor their masters and, and to be able to uh, set the example for others with good character. We've talked about that before in the past, but I want us to understand this is not what Paul is saying, well, you need to insist on and teach that. Instead, this really begins a new train of thought for Paul that returns to a conversation he was having earlier in 1 Timothy about how to handle false teachers and their message. And so what he's saying is, these are the things that you need to teach and insist on. And what is he talking about? What he's saying is biblical teaching and sound doctrine. That's what he's saying. You need to insist on. You need to teach these things. If you remember last week, one of the things that I said is you need to choose your rabbi carefully. And this comes, Paul is talking about that even today. He is warning people against following preachers who preach anything other than the sound message of salvation in Jesus Christ. He's also warning them to avoid following people who have improper or ungodly behavior. If people are prideful or are arrogant, if people are unteachable, if they drift towards bickering and towards arguments, especially over non-essential type issues, if they struggle with envy, if they're filled with dissension, if they're constantly trying to create division, he's saying you need to be careful of those people. That's one of the reasons why I, I love the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. One of the things that we've said is we hold to these essentials, right? The essentials of the faith, like the authority of Scripture, uh, the nature of the Trinity, the work of Jesus Christ in the world, you know, how we are to live on mission. So these are the things that we say we're going to hold to. But what we also say is we're not going to get caught up in the, the minutia or the non-salvific things. So, for instance, like the modes of baptism and how we baptize. Uh, so we, we, we say that there are certain things that we're just not going to argue over as if our salvation depends upon it. What we see Paul doing here is saying these are the types of people who try to draw out these things that are considered non-essentials, but we're going to argue about them and especially argue about them for financial gain. And so... With that as the background, I want us to understand what are the various sayings, all right? The various sayings. 
one of the things that we see, notice the Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. Rather, it says that the love of money is the root of evil. See, if you have money, well, then you, you have money. But if you love money, well, then money has you. And, and what Paul is saying here is he's saying as a Christian, it's not wrong to possess money, but if money possesses you as a believer or even as an unbeliever, this is where we fall into evil. And when we talk about possessing, what he's really talking about here is the heart. He's talking about the root. You know, where, wherever your root is, You know, you think about roots that go down deep and go wide. What springs out of it comes from the root. And what he's saying is, if your heart is rooted in a love for money, then what is going to spring from that is the pursuit of all kinds of evil desires. When you have a heart that is bent towards money and all the things that it can provide. When our, if our heart posture determines how we live, if it determines how we love, well then guess what? We're, we're going to find if your heart is set on things above where Christ is, that's going to determine how you live. But if it's set on the things of the earth, on our own fleshly desires, then that's going to determine how we live. And what Paul is saying is we need to pursue holy things and we need to set our hearts and affections on Christ, not on wealth or riches. The truth is that money is whatever the human heart chooses to make it. Money is a tool for exchange. And we're going to be talking about this in just a moment. But Christians are not told that we shouldn't have money or that we shouldn't earn money or that we shouldn't invest money or that we shouldn't save money. Instead, it warns us of the desire of having money or being attached to money or having a heart's affection that leans towards money. And this is why it's so hard. Because as we were talking about before, about what does it mean for us to curb our consumption? So much of what we see around us is all designed to, to want the, the consumerism of our culture and to try to buy more or to try to have more. And all of the things, so much of it has to do with the desires of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, culminating in our desire for power and for money. And all of these things call to our hearts. And a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about, right, this idea, well, just do whatever your heart wants or what your heart desires. And we were saying that ultimately, if Scripture reminds us that the heart is deceitful above all things, and if our heart's desire is for money, well then guess what? If our hearts are deceitful and we have a heart that's bent towards finances, then guess what? All kinds of evil things can come out of that. We cannot seek our satisfaction in the things of the world. What 
what we're reminded of is that ultimately our satisfaction needs to come from Jesus Christ. Now that's the first part of this phrase. It's not just that money is the root of all evil, it's the love of money. Notice the second part of this phrase that we need to talk about where people often say that the love of money is the root of all evil. But notice that's not what it says. What it actually says is that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. You know, we, one of the things that we have to keep in mind is that money isn't the only root of evil, right? When, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden... It wasn't because of, of money, right? When Cain killed Abel, it wasn't, it wasn't because of, of money. There, there are all kinds of things that can lead towards evil. The sins of, of pride and power and greed and lust, all of those things can be roots of evil. But notice, too, that it's not all evil, but all kinds of evil. He isn't saying that all evil in the world can be traced back to a love of money, that, but that many different kinds of evil can find their root in someone having a love for money. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Beloved people, what we find is that money often magnifies a person's character. Right. So if you have an arrogant person Money can magnify that arrogance. It can lead them to think, well, I'm, un I'm invincible, right? I'm untouchable. I'm, I'm unassailable, right? If someone is, is lustful, being wealthy can lead to all of those lusts being fulfilled with endless opportunities to indulge their desires. Money can be used to buy up property, or to hoard property. It can regentrify cities. It can push the poor out. I can remember a number of years ago, uh, I, when I was in college, I interned at uh, the Uptown Baptist Church in the Chicago area, the Uptown area of Chicago. Uh, very, very poor community at, at the time. Uh, and the church did a lot to serve the, the poor that were there. A number of years ago, I, I, went, I went back. We took our kids there. We're like, oh, you got to drive past this old church. I mean, there's tons of history there. It's really incredible. And we drove back through the city, and it is amazing. That entire area has been completely regentrified. It looks completely different than it did. But in the pursuit of all of these now very nice buildings, it makes you wonder, well, the poor were obviously pushed out and they were pushed somewhere else we see the way in which money can be used to buy politicians in order to enact laws that benefit corporations and insurance companies or to ensure that the wealthy actually get to stay wealthy money can be used to fund all kinds of wars it can be used to exploit people it can be used in the trade of people when we crave money it can lead to all kinds of various evils with very negative consequences. So the question is, what is the damage that a love for money causes? Verse 10 says this, Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Notice, 
Paul mentions that there are two consequences from the pursuit of money. One is a wandering from the faith, and the other is a piercing with many griefs. Those who love money often lose sight of God. They wander from what God has for them because they pursue their wealth. In essence, they allow money to be their God. They, they follow it. They worship it. They chase it. This is why Jesus said that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God because we see the way in which the heart then pulls towards this desire to have these things. The reality is that when we pursue anything other than God, and when we make other things our God, it leads to death. Money can never offer us what we hope it will. And for those who end up worshiping it, the path is dark and it is bleak. If you make money your master, it will eventually master you. And then what you will find is you have made it your God. And the reality is when we worship anything other than God, we forsake our faith and it leads to death. But notice, we're not just talking about eternal death here. We're also talking about what happens when we crave and covet money. When it's money that motivates us. You know, if if your money keeps you away from the home, keeps you away from your spouse, it keeps you away from your children, it keeps you away from being able to grow in your faith, what's the potential grief? Maybe it's a spouse that wonders why you seem to love work or if there's someone at work that you love more than them. Maybe your children start to wonder, why, why does my parent want to spend so much time in that pursuit instead of spending time with me in, in my own activities? What happens when you find a, a family that has ended up walking away? And what's the excuse that we often offer? I was just trying to provide for my family. I just wanted to make sure that they had all the things that I didn't have. But what do we have to remember? Our, our families don't need more things. They need more of us. They need more of our presence. They need us pouring into their lives. And so, in many ways, we have to look in the mirror and we have to ask ourselves, is that just an excuse? Right? When we say, I'm just trying to provide for my family. Is that really an excuse? Because in the back of your mind, you, you find your identity in what you do in closing the next deal. And then all of a sudden you get your thrill out of those things. See, oftentimes we may find that it's really more of a heart issue. We, we want to be seen as someone in the eyes of others. I want you to just take a moment and think about people that you know who have ended up piercing themselves with many griefs because they have erred from the faith and they have pursued the things of the world. I mean, how many people do you know that their marriages were strong until they weren't? You know, children that were on a great path and now they're walking away from the Lord. Right? I mean, think about the, the things 
that happen in families when we put the pursuit of money and the things of the world above God and above our families. We should not be surprised when we reap the things that we sow. And so we have to be so careful in the way in which we look at the world. So the question is, how should Christians view money and wealth? How should we view it? What's, what's a, a more biblical way, a healthier way of, of looking at the finances in the world? R- remember, uh, money in and of itself is, is not evil. It is amoral. But what it can be done is it's used for either good or evil. But what we see is that the enemy often uses money to rob people of a biblical understanding. And so we have a tendency to take a, a couple of extremes. On the one hand, you have the extreme of the health and wealth gospel preachers, right? Uh, they would say that God wants you to be happy, healthy, wealthy, and wise. That if you don't have money, it's either because you have some sort of sin in your life or you don't have enough faith. And the way in which you show your faith is by sowing your seed. And usually sowing your seed means send me your money and then God will bless you, right? So we see the way in which so many people fall prey to this sort of thinking. But I want us to understand Nowhere in Scripture does it say that God desires that every Christian be rich. So as much as they're trying to say, well, God wants you to be wealthy, really, God doesn't say that he wants you to be wealthy. But what happens is you find someone who has wandered from the faith and is piercing their own souls. I want you to also understand On the other extreme, people might have what you would call the poverty gospel, the aesthetic Christian, who who think that the way to be truly spiritual is to get rid of all your possessions, to sell everything, and, and to give it away to the poor. That the only way to do that is to get rid of everything so that God can be your prized possession, the only thing in life. And so you try to get rid of all of the trappings of the world in order to try to prove to God, right, that God, I truly love you the most. Now, well, God said to that rich ruler, sell everything and and follow me. But what was the point? The point is that all Christians need to sell everything, and the point is that this man had his, his, his joy, and what he found the most important was in his wealth. And so Jesus is saying, no, it's actually in following me. Now, here's the thing. I recognize most of us probably don't fall into those categories, right? You know, we don't fall into the ultra-wealthy or the ultra-poverty. You know, one of the things that we find, in, in especially in the middle class, is because we can't have a few really nice things, we get a lot of little things and a lot of trinkets, right? You can look around your house and you can think of all the things that we buy for our families or our our pillows and all all the things that we try to do, 
right? To, to show that, oh, you know, we, we don't have a lot, but we've got a few things. Um, I, I could say a whole lot. I, I, I just won't. But you understand, like, what we do is, is we try to say, well, I don't have a lot, but I'm going to get a lot of little things for my family and my children. Um, and maybe, just maybe, uh, we could call it the Dave Ramsey version of the American Christian dream. Now, I say that because we've taught Financial Peace University here. There's a lot that he would say it's good, right, about paying down debt, uh, about making sure that you're saving for retirement, about pursuing financial responsibility and freedom. But have we made an idol out of that? Right? Where, where that in and of itself, like I'm a Dave Ramsey disciple, right? I, I've paid down my debt. I've saved for my retirement. I can give it all away. All good principles, but what happens is, is that in itself can sometimes become an idol. And all of these things, I want us to understand, can be unhealthy. In God's economy, there are the rich, there are the middle class, and there are the poor. Just because you're rich, doesn't mean that you're bad. And just because you're poor doesn't mean that you're good. Because even the poor can have a hoarding mentality about things. Rich Christians are warned against arrogance and thinking less of the poor that are around them. Those who think that just because they're rich that everybody else should be able to become rich. And in their wealth, they don't really have any needs. And so instead of needing God, they can just rely on the things they have. And the poor people can be jealous of the rich. They're looking for the next Robin Hood for, to take from the rich and to give to the poor. Or they can sound self-righteous and come across with a fake piety that makes everybody else feel bad for what they have. And then you find yourself in the middle class and you're frustrated because you don't have enough not to worry but then what? You, don't, you make too much to qualify for cheaper college or those sort of things. And so the middle class are just ticked off at everybody, right? This is why we are told to set our hearts and minds on Christ and to allow Christ to inform our view of money. The main concern of scripture is not your economic standing in society but your attitude and your heart towards money and possessions you know christians in any economic status can have a sinful attitude towards money that leads to their destruction scripture says that we are to love the lord our god with all our heart soul mind and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves we are reminded that god will supply for all of our needs according to the riches of the glories that are in christ jesus and most importantly we need to be reminded that god owns it all Everything in heaven and on earth belongs to God. And we are only stewarding his resources on his behalf. That means we are to love God and love people. But we are not to love money. Now how does that happen? Well, Heather reminded us, it is when we learn the secret of contentment. Godliness with contentment is 
great gain. The world pursues consumerism and the seeking of all of its pleasures and possessions. It thinks that contentment and security come from having wealth. But God reminds us that these things cannot be bought. True contentment comes from knowing that you are satisfied in God. It comes from knowing that in God you have enough. It comes from being satisfied. It comes from knowing that no matter how much you have or how little you may have, there is no security outside of God's care. And ultimately, it comes from finding a sufficiency in Jesus Christ and choosing to see yourself as having enough no matter what it is you have. And as we've been talking about that, how appropriate is it that we would come to the table today on Worldwide Communion Sunday? Now, is this a made-up Christian holiday? Yes. Right? We recognize that. And we recognize that for as many churches that remember this today, there are thousands of other churches that have, they don't think about Worldwide Communion Sunday. But I think it's important because it reminds us that we are just one small part of this Christian community where there are brothers and sisters all around the world today who are worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think it's good for us to remember that today because we gather at this table today with Christians who have far more wealth than we do. And we gather with probably tenfold, hundredfold, and even a thousandfold of Christians who have far less than we do. And yet, our standing is all the same in the eyes of God. It is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're all equal at the foot of the cross, and so we gather here to be reminded that God has sent us on mission to proclaim the good news that is in Jesus Christ. Our pursuit should not be in the things of the world. Our pursuit should be for the things of the kingdom of God. To see the gifts that we have been given, to be able to be used to further his kingdom with the hope that countless more people will be able to gather at this table because they proclaim, because they know, because they believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. Beloved people, the prayer for us this morning is that everything that we see, everything that we have, we know it comes from God. And then we say, God, how can you use me to pursue the kingdom here in this world, in our community, and in our lives. Beloved people, may we be a people who are sent because of the blessings that God has given to us. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we come this morning and we recognize that, Lord, we are so often trapped by the things of the world and so often, Lord, our hearts are bent towards 
Lord, a desire and a consumeristic type tendency. And God, you call us to something far greater. Lord, forgive us for when we have forsaken our first love, for when we have pursued money, or when we have pursued fame or resources, whatever it is that takes us away from you, that takes us away from our families, that, that takes us away, Lord, from our first love, our, our desire is to return. And to know, Lord, that because of your grace, because of your great boundless compassion, we indeed can. Lord, help us in this day to pursue you above all else. And Lord, to be able to say, Lord, may we be a people who are on mission, sent on mission, a people who are seeking, Lord, to build your kingdom here and around the world. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. If you were encouraged by this message, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcast listening, and check out our other discussions and messages. To learn more about Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's worship services, ministries, and events, visit us online at warsawpresby.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you again for joining us, and have a blessed day.